theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaclia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Joy. Good morning, Dr. Amy. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing well, and I love it whenever we have such renowned guests on our show to talk to about their journey and what they're doing now. I am a personal fan of our guest today. We're going to be talking about National Board Teacher Certification. Amy, have you ever thought about when you were teaching being National Board Certified? I thought about it at the very same time I was working on my doctorate and Mm -hmm. there was not the possibility of doing both. There just wasn't. And then I didn't have a high school classroom anymore. So that limited my access. But I worked with several teachers who went through the process and that journey that they went on was pretty incredible. That self-reflection piece, super powerful. Yeah, my daughter is going through the process now. And so for years, we've had the conversation, is it worth it to be national board certified? You know, because it is a, it is costly, cost about $4,000. But from what she's gone through already, and all the teachers that I know that are national board certified, they say it is absolutely worth it. Schools that hire teachers that are national board certified say it is worth it. Many schools help invest in that kind of development of their teachers. And these teachers are truly, truly, truly experts in their field. They advocate for their field. There's continuous growth. There's that continuous reflective uh, practitioner. You know, you're just constantly uh, reflecting and growing. So I think there's a lot of value and being national board certified, but only 3% of our teaching population are national board certified. So hopefully today we can inspire some teachers, answer some questions about national board certification, but most importantly, I want to introduce them, Amy, can you introduce us to the heartbeat of national board teacher certification? Absolutely. So Dr. Peggy Brookins is president and CEO of National Board for Professional Teaching Standards. She is a well-respected education leader with 42 plus years of comprehensive experience in developing, planning, managing, organizing, and implementing education programs and providing leadership to knowledge-focused initiatives 
As a director at Engineering and Manufacturing Institute of Technology, she provides leadership and direction for the overall administration and coordination of STEM programs in support of effective instructional practices, communications, and operational efficiency. She was selected to serve as a member of the President's Advisory Commission on Educational Excellence for African Americans to generate advanced solutions for systemic and situational problems with the goal of improving educational standards across the country. We are honored and privileged to have you on our show, Dr. Brookins. Thank you for joining us. I am absolutely honored to be here. Thank you for the invite. Good morning, Dr. Brookins. I am in awe of you. I am truly a fan. I want to be like you when I grow up. <laughs> I, I am really in awe of you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with Peggy. <laughs> Thank you, Peggy. Dr. Peggy. <laughs> no. You are the, just Peggy, huh? Yes. You are the president and CEO of the National Board of Professional Teacher Standards Board. But you are a teacher at heart, and that's why I love you so much. And one of the things I learned about you is that you're a bit of an entrepreneur as well. In fact, I think you're the first person in your position there at NBCT that's actually national board certified. Amy and I was just talking about our desire to be national board certified. So before we begin, I want to learn a little bit more about Peggy about your passions, and then your goals for student achievement. Oh, that sounds great. But just to think about, I, the thing that I do best is teach. It is the thing that I've always wanted to do my entire life. And it is the thing that drives me and, and makes me wake up every morning. And this position that I currently hold as the first person to hold the certification of the organization that you lead is so important. And I didn't know how important it was until I was in rooms and being asked the very question you've just asked me now. What is so different about this certification? Why did you choose to do this? And, and what has been the impact in your career and on students, which is the most important piece of this, and colleagues, um, which is even more important. And I think going through the transformational nature of board certification, and I'll say for me, it was trying to stay all those steps in front of your students because, you know, I taught engineering students and every single day was an adventure. And that adventure pushed me to push them. And then they pushed me to push myself to make sure we knew the latest technology. We were going beyond what was in front of us. We were envisioning things that had never happened before because that's what you're preparing children for. And so for me, I think board certification was that thing that people say level up, level up, level up. It was the thing that kept leveling me up. Even though you do it, you still have to maintain it as well. But this something started this journey for you. Can you talk a little bit about who or what influenced the way you saw the world in your earlier years in education? Because I can hear that passion coming through. Something started it. And what drives you to share this passion with children? Because like you said, you're a teacher at heart. 
I think what started it for me was in the third grade, I had a teacher, Miss Harris. She was amazing. She was an African-American woman. She was dark like me. And she looked at me and it was like my grandmother looking at me, who was the most important person in my life at the time, who lit up when I walked into a room. And when I walked into a classroom, Miss Harris lit up. She lit up for every kid in that room to give you that sense of belonging. And I thought, I want that for me. And then the other thing she did for me, she saw that I had an interest in science. My father worked for NASA and therefore I was around engineers and got to tinker with engineers in the garage and build things. And, and there was a, a contest that NASA put out. And this was in probably 1962. And it was to say, we're going to have this capsule that we're going to bury. And it was called Freedom 7. And there was a contest for all the elementary school students. And she encouraged me to apply. And I did, and my submission won. So therefore, it was submitted into that capsule of Freedom 7. So that gave me a level of confidence to say, no matter what's out there, I can try. Because all they can say is no, or all I can do is learn from failure and try again. I love what you said about preparing students for the future and that teaching is no longer just about reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? And it's truly preparing students for the future. Let's discuss the engineering school that you started, which is just mind-blowing. And I know that Mae Jemison is also on your board. What is the goal of the school? Who do you serve? And, and why do this? So when we started the school, and I retired in 2014 from the school, but starting the school, it was one of those things where there were a group of teachers who were always collaborating with each other. And we thought we can do this better. And one day sitting at lunch, literally on the back of a napkin, we started to map out what our ideal day would be. And we had been working with people in the community working with the EDC. And we went to the EDC and said, where is this community going to be in 50 years? What are you going to need? Because communities have to map out what they're going to do. And when they talked about Lockheed Martin sits here, Duke Energy sits there, we want to bring other industries into this community because it's a, a geographically a really large county. And we thought, how can we contribute and lessen the brain drain because all of our bright students were going somewhere else to live. And this would be a way to keep them there. So we decided there was an RFP that the state had put out around career academies and why shouldn't we apply? And so we chose engineering. We met with parents, we met with students, talked to them, we met with the EDC, we met with businesses, and this was, was our choice. And so when we submitted and we were awarded, now it was time to think about how do you make this thing happen? <laughs> and what we did was paired with every engineer we could in the area. We also made sure that we had business partners who were part of this who would not just go away, that we need you to come in for the students to see who you are. 
We also need you to speak to students in a way that they would be energized and want this career and understand what it takes to get there. Nothing is by accident. I go with Aristotle. When you think about excellence, it's never by accident. And we did not want to leave anything to accident when we started this school. So thinking about specializing in mathematics, specializing in science, specializing in physics and chemistry and history and language arts, because communication is key to all of this. And so we started this school and we wanted to learn from others. So there were others who had done this and we visited all of them to say, what mistakes have you made? <laughs> because we're gonna live vicariously and we do not want to make those same mistakes. So they were nice enough to sit with us and talk about mistakes that were made, things that would do differently. And we had the privilege of doing those things right the first time. Wow, just wow. That is really an incredible story, but I'm picking up on some themes from your early childhood to today. Why shouldn't I? Why not me? And at the core of all that is this desire to be a creator, to really envision something that's not already there. And why not? Why not you? But how do you help others move into that space of creating alongside you or helping them become creators as well? Well, I think the thing that stops most people is fear or, or I don't know enough. And I am the type of person that, you know, my grandmother always told me fear was false evidence appearing real and jump in, do it, give it your best. And you never have a regret about what you didn't try where you didn't succeed because you didn't put forth the effort that was necessary. And for me, I think seeing individuals, and you talk about people like Mae Jemison, you talk about individuals, I'm just looking at even at my dad <laughs> and the things that he did as a, a young person. I look at my grandparents, my, my grandmother, my grandfather, my grandfather was a professor. And at the turn of the century in 1900, that was unheard of for a, a man of color. And so he instilled in us the, the importance of education and what we would sacrifice to gain an education at the same time. So I'm, I'm thinking that with students and giving them a sense of confidence that they too can step out and number one, have a dream build those relationships with them that are necessary, that they feel like they can take a chance, that they can fail and it's okay. And that's not failure as people see it. And you get to do this young, so you don't have to do it old, which is so important to learn what you're capable of at a very, very young age. And, and those are the things that we provided for students in the academy because Engineering is a, a, a cycle of learning. And in that cycle, it's not just about engineering. We always told our students, you know, I'm not asking you to see what no one else sees. I'm asking you to see what everyone sees, but to see it differently and to be able to, you know, look well into the future to say, what can I imagine that would be? How can I make this thing better than what I'm seeing right now? 
speaking of students and how they learn and one of your presentations, this is, I follow you on YouTube. I just want you to know that. So when you see those numbers go up, that's, that's me. <laughs> but in one of your presentations, you talked about thematic units. I'm a strong proponent of thematic learning and team teaching. Why do you think that thematic learning is a powerful method of instruction? I think it is because that's how the brain works. I have been interested in thinking about your own metacognition, about how you learn, what in ways that you learn. And the brain remembers stories. So when we talked about UDL or thinking about thematic learning activities, these activities are based around a story and contained in the story is the problem. And contained in the problem is not just one way to solve it. So, you know, we had teams of students who came up with different ways of solving the same problem. And so I'll give you an example. We had one called Vision 2040. We always gave them these catchy names. And in this, it was the years 2040, <clears throat> the ambient temperature has changed five degrees. That's incredible. And we have had, we've lost 300 feet of coastline. So you can imagine what would happen if we lose 300 feet of coastline with all the coastline the country has and where the populations are. So their task was to move these populations to save them to different locations. They had a budget in order to do that. They were given restrictions about what had to be there. You had to have housing, you had to have an industrial area, you had to have educational areas, you had to have recreational areas. So people could live, but it also had to be sustainable as far as anything that was natural to the, the current location. So if you were in an area that had geothermal energy, use the geothermal energy. All of every plant, it had to be indigenous to that particular area. So lots to think about. And then we gave them different population densities. So they had to either build out or build up. And so it was amazing what these young individuals came up with without restrictions. I did not give them restrictions. I gave them a problem to solve. And so in solving this problem, our students were CAD drafters. They were 3D animators. We have 3D printing machines. We had laser bed cutters. They have CNC machines. They had every tool they needed to design, to animate, to test, to build, and to present. So their prototypes were real working prototypes. And these are the things that students remember. They remember the mathematics that it goes along with that. They remember the physics that goes along with that because everything starts with physics, but they also remember why they were learning this. And that sticks in the brain. I wanna be in your class. Absolutely. I, I, I loved it I because I learned so much from them. Well, and you're talking about really touching on all aspects and exposing students to some very creative ways of solving a problem that is real world and also creative, pushing math into the creative space. Can you talk a little bit more about exposure 
and access for K-12 students. Tell us about the importance of some of these pieces that you're exposing students to and who has access to that. Right, and, and one of the things when we were writing the grant that we insisted upon was access for every single child. And I say that because the field of engineering is void of the number of women that should be in this field, not because they can't be in it, because they weren't given access to it. So we made sure, try to get half our students to be females. The other thing we looked at was the demographics of our area. And we looked at what cultural backgrounds and we made sure we exceeded those cultural backgrounds as part of students who were in the academy. We did that with our staff as well. Our staff had to look like our students. So 50% women, people of color, we made sure our experiences were very varied and our personalities were very varied so that we could reach all of the children who were in front of us. And then we made sure that children had access and, and there's a most, magnet schools have this entrance that you have to have to get into magnet school. Mine was one, will. Do you have the will to do this work? That's the only thing that was important to me. As the instructor and all of us felt like we needed to do some extra things for those who had not had the privilege of access before. And so that meant before school, that meant after school until we got them to the point where they caught up to their peers who did have that access. We did not want to leave anyone out. I am a huge proponent of having equal access, especially to fields like engineering. Peggy, you know, the National Board Certification is the most respected professional certification available to teachers and it provides so many benefits. My daughter is going through the process now. She says it is rigorous. We had many conversations about, is it worth it? You know, cause mommy is helping to pay for this. <laughs> and she feels like it is definitely worth it. Amy and I were talking about it before you came on, you know, it was designed to develop, retain and recognize accomplished teachers and to generate improvement in schools nationwide, because like you, you know, I truly believe that teachers are the tool for developing highly accomplished students. So we have to really invest in our teachers. And I was surprised to learn that only 3% of our teachers are actually national board certified. Can you talk more about the purpose and the benefits of becoming a national board certified teacher? Absolutely. And we've ticked up to 4% lately. So we can up that oh, number. Uh, wonderful. Yes. And that's, that's amazing. And one of the things that's going to help that too, there is some legislation that was currently passed in California, which will tick us up even more where policymakers have put in $250 million for teachers to be supported through the process, uh, to be incentivized to go through the process and to be in those schools where they're needed the most, number one. And I think people don't understand pre-service doesn't provide everything a teacher needs. 
And once you begin to be the teacher of record, all of us were scrambling and seeking for something to take us to that next level. And when I discovered board certification, remember I had taught for 15 years before National Board ever existed. And when I heard about National Board for the first time, and I, I read the five core propositions first, teachers are committed to their students and their learning, that teachers know the subjects they teach and how to teach those to their students. They manage and monitor uh, student learning, that they're also learn from their own experiences to change, and then they are members of a learning community. And when I read the explication of those five core propositions, I'm thinking, my God, this is for me. This is the thing that will take me to the next level because you only do what you know. And most of us teach the way we were taught. And so this was so different from the way I had been taught or what I had learned in pre-service or, or any professional development that I had had in the past. And when I read my standards and the connection of the mathematics standards at the high school and college level to those five core propositions, which are the foundation of all of the standards of board certification, I thought this is going to challenge me. And this is what I'm looking for as far as a challenge that would take me to the next level in order to impact my students. And boy, did I see a difference. And I'm thinking about the, the folks around me, those who come in contact with your students, and this is how you know you're making an impact. And I, I remember walking in one day and our classes were always interactive and I'm standing at the back of the room and I'm listening to my student at the front of the room and I'm wowed. And I, I asked at the end, I said, my God, you were amazing. She goes, I just do what you do. And it's like, whoa, that's when you know imitation is the best form of flattery and that you're having an impact. And, and we have years and years of research that talk about the impact of board certified teachers. But that impact starts with the relationships that you build and the lives you influence in the ways that you give them that sense of belonging. And I always come back to that sense. And I, I remember, you know, on my White House commission, Dr. Comer sat on my White House commission. How lucky am I to be associated with him and, and to learn so much from him as a mentor. And I'm thinking about all the things that he talked about around relationships, the things that he talked about around what it means to have someone who looks like you in front of you and what that means to teachers, not only just students who may be from the same cultural background, but for other students to see people in charge, to know that everyone can be a leader and that they can have these incredible relationships with their colleagues, with anyone who's outside of their own culture and make these bonds that are lifelong. I really want to unpack what you said there. It's there's so so much that I want to say to that. We are talking to Dr. Peggy Brookins about National Board certification and just the challenges that it helps us. It really helps us challenge ourselves like no other kind of development can. I want to talk about some other challenges about the during the pandemic. But first, let's talk more about 
children deserving great teachers who look like them. And like you said, it's not always about the cultural background. It's, there are a number of different identities we bring to the classroom that children can connect to us and we can connect to them. But what do you see as some major causes for lack of teacher diversity? I think we've touched on it earlier, access people seeing themselves in those positions, being in environments that you feel like you belong. And people don't quite understand that feeling of belonging. And I was listening to a podcast the other day as I was walking, and it talks about the power of belonging and where she tells a story that says you are invited to a party and your friend has invited you. You walk in, but your friend's not there. And you're looking around the room and you're seeing people in groups of two and three and whatever, and nobody comes over to talk to you. You don't, you're, you're walking around like, do I walk over to this group? Are, you know, if they have this sense of belonging and wanting people to belong, why didn't somebody come to me? Where's the host to greet me at the door? to say, oh, come, let me introduce you to others. These are the things that we have to do in our classroom. These are the things that we have to teach teachers to do in pre-service and why it is so important to have that sense of belonging. That's part of it. When we talk about culture, to say you and all of us have done this, walked into a room and, and you have felt an energy that is not good. One that says, you don't belong here, or, oh my God, there's a person who looks like you who has just walked in, and you know there is no one else in the room who looks like you standing in that room. We've all done that. And we know that feeling. We know it as adults. And can you imagine what that feeling would be like as a child who doesn't know how to navigate a room in that way? And so I I think realizing that and making sure that is top of mind so that as a culture, because culture is just shared patterns of belief and that how do we teach children that we're living in the same community. We share a culture about how do we enhance our own community? What does it take to do that? How do we lift each other up within a community? And and those are classrooms. Classrooms are communities. And so we have the ability to teach children how to be part of a community within a classroom itself. And that starts in kindergarten. And and that book's everything I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Uh You actually do. You really spoke about an anxiety of mine walking into a space that's full of different people. I might've even been invited to go to that gathering. But if I don't have someone who motions me over or who I went with to that gathering, I am full of nerves. And you wouldn't think that. Here we are on a podcast. I'm putting myself out there. I'm a teacher. I put myself out there all the time. But if there's not someone who motions or says hello and waves me over, I don't know what to do. I'm like that middle schooler with the lunch tray the first day of school. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to sit. So you making that analogy is really a powerful vision for me. And I think for our listeners as well. 
Yes, it is. Belonging is so important. I went to school, not ever seen a teacher that looked like me. And so I didn't think teaching was even an opportunity. I didn't think that that existed. It wasn't until I got my graduate degree that I had my first African-American teacher. So I really became a Peggy fan when I saw you on network television and you made that statement that Amy talked about that Black children deserve great teachers and they deserve to see teachers that look like them. I thought that was such a provocative statement for you to say, but it really rings true. But all children, like you said, all children deserve to have teachers of color. It's not, it shouldn't be, oh, there's an exception. It shouldn't be an exception. It should be what is. It should be what is. So talk, talk to us about retention with teachers that are national board certified. Has there been any research on retention of those who are national board certified versus those who are not? Because, you know, we are experiencing the worst teacher shortage in history. And much of that has to do with teacher retention. So we have teacher retirement, right? Because our baby boomers, are ret- they can retire. <laughs> but we also have a huge problem with retention. And Amy and I, we talk about this a lot. If we can solve the retention problem, then we can solve the shortage problem. Do you see a difference in the retention with national board certified teachers versus just state certified teachers? Big difference. There was a a bit of research that was done uh, by the Cedar Center in, in South Carolina. And it said that national board certified teachers remain in the classroom at four times the rate as those who are not board certified. That is huge. And people say, but why? The why is how you feel after you've become board certified. That transformational nature of the process of being able to walk into a room because people don't get up every morning and say, I'm going to work to do a bad job. They walk in to do the best job possible. And what board certification did for me is to make me intentional about what was happening, the decisions that I was making in class every single day, the fact that it challenged me to have a deep knowledge of content and pedagogy and to marry those two things together with the standards. And once I've done that, I walk into a classroom thinking there is nothing that's going to happen in here today that I can't take care of and or that I can't figure out or that I can't connect with my colleagues to figure out because board certification makes your practice public so that you collaborate with others for best practice, collaborate with others to sharpen and hone your skills, to look at all of your knowledge, skills, and dispositions that are needed on a daily basis for those children who are in front of you right now. And I cannot stress that enough. Because you had a lesson plan that worked really well last year, doesn't mean it's gonna work well this year. Because you have not gotten to know those individuals who are in front of you right now. And when you do, you might be able to tweak that lesson plan, but I guarantee you, it'll change a lot more than a tweak. (laughs) 
based on those individuals in front of you. And so I, I think when we come out of pre-service and, and we're brand new teachers, we're just trying to survive and pulling things that other people have done, but not focusing in on who's in front of us and those relationships that we build to know what's important to them and what sparks that desire to learn in them. And, and that is the, the biggest piece I think that that makes teachers want to remain in the classroom. I stayed there 38 years before I retired. And and that's kind of unheard of for right. teachers now. <clears throat> and what board certification I think we want to do, and, and one of the big dreams that I have, because my dreams don't just involve me, <laughs> they mm -hmm. involve the whole profession. And I'm thinking about the work that we're going to pilot in Kentucky in the near future around early entry for board certification, starting teachers very early in their career so that there's not this gap in between that they have access to board certification. So that's another piece of access that is really exciting me right now. So that gives us the opportunity to work very closely with pre-service to begin to embed the five core propositions in the standards about what accomplished teaching looks like and to begin that journey to that North Star. I like that access early because especially since we're seeing teachers leave the field like in that first five years. And I know now I believe you have to be teaching for at least three years to pursue national boards. So I like that, that we're capturing them earlier. That will help us retain them because it's quite an investment. So I can see that research would show that national board teachers stay longer. You feel better prepared. You feel great about the outcome of your students, but it's also an investment. And you Talk have a community. Yeah. A huge nationwide community. Yes. Um, to, to support you. So what would you say about the cost benefit and what are states doing to invest in national board certification? Well, I call national board the gift that keeps on giving. Yes. And, and so you think about it's $1,900 to go through the process and the cost of replacing a teacher every single year is 10 times that amount. Absolutely. So when you think about the return on investment, I'm going with board certification, definitely. And I'm, I'm thinking about students when I say that as well, because to have a consistent face in front of you, that consistency of faculty members throughout the years, and you think about elementary school, because kids love their teachers and they're always going back and they see that face constantly. Or in our case, I my students, I was the only math teacher they had for four years. And that's a lot of responsibility, but at the same time, you know who they are. You know what they've learned. You know, you can make all of those connections. You can accelerate them. You can help them where they're weak. And it is important for that retention piece to have students have a sense of self, but a sense of belonging and a sense of consistency 
in those individuals who are in front of them. Just think every year when you walked on campus, you looked for your favorite teacher. You looked around to see who was still there and who you could talk to, who you go to. Children need that. They need that consistency. And then you need that for collaboration within a school itself. I want to revisit some challenges. So we had this pandemic <laughs> that caused us to really have to pivot. How did you have to pivot during the pandemic? And how did you have to re-see some of the process that you were talking about? And let's talk about what changes might be beneficial and here to stay. Well, what the National Board did, we had to do a number of things. One, we had to understand where teachers were. The fact that schools shut down, we thought we were gonna be out two weeks, then we were out the rest of the year. And what we did as a staff, we sat down and said, what do teachers need right now? It is not going through the process right now. It is survival and it is reaching students. So the National Board put on a series of webinars and these webinars were based, the first one, we kind of broke the internet, probably had 15,000 people on the first webinar that we put out to say, we are here to help. And the first thing they wanted was, how do we use this technology? How do we understand the connection to it? And the fact that I can't do in-person the same way I'm doing virtual. And, and how do I make that happen and focus on what's important? So after that first webinar that we did, we looked at the chat. And in the chat, teachers were telling us what they needed. So the next webinar would be based on the chat. And then the following webinar would be based on the chat. We called on every board certified teacher around this country to come in and lead these webinars. We called on other experts around the country to lead them. And not only were we looking at the academic piece of this, the technology piece of this, we were looking at the social emotional piece of this and where mm -hmm. teachers were, what students were experiencing at the same time. And, and over that course, we had 380,000 participants join our webinar wow. series. This is what people needed. And so the thing you were saying that stayed, there are a number of things that stayed. One is that people now understand the complexity of teaching and that it's not like, you know, you show up, somebody takes role, they talk a little bit, they give you some homework and you go home. This, this is way more than sitting in that seat and kind of having that experience that looks seamless. And then the other thing was parents got to participate. They got to see what their children were learning. They got to see how they were learning and they got to see the face of that person who was teaching their children on a daily basis and really form a relationship with them. And then the other piece of, of technology I think that was so important is that people got to see that everybody cares about their children, not because they're working and they can't show up at a three o'clock appointment that you have set for a parent conference, but we can get on this two-dimensional space and have that parent conference. I can have it as I'm walking on my phone or if I'm riding on a bus from work because I don't have a car to get to a parent conference. These are things that stay and that you are able to talk to parents in ways that you never did. And I think one of the most important pieces is that we had English language learners 
that their parents were on with them. So as their children may have been learning the language, that they were learning phonics, that they got to listen and be, be a part of that learning. So it just pulled in so many aspects of in-person that were valuable that we can now continue to use as we go back and forth through these spaces. And, and some people still haven't let go of virtual. Some kids flourished in virtual. They said, oh, I made this little video and I wanna show it to the entire class. It's so easy to do that with all of the technology that's out there. And we had even elementary little ones, first grade, second grade, using the technology in ways that people didn't think was possible. And they did it, they did it. So we learned some things and, and those things will stick. And then we have the ability to think about how can we elevate what we learned? Well, I would like to commend you for pivoting so quickly. At the onset of the pandemic, Amy and I read through this Padlet and it was heartbreaking that yes. teachers felt unsupported. You could scroll through and every other one you would see retire, quit, all of this. They felt so unsupported. So I am so happy that you all were able to pivot to support teachers. You really supported us at Governor State University through Atlas. We introduced Atlas to our curriculum several years ago through one of our coordinators. And the coordinator got a hold of it and said, I want to use this resource. So we invested in that resource just for that course. And once the pandemic hit, we expanded it through the entire educator preparation unit. And so this is 18 licensure programs that had access to Atlas. And it was an amazing bank of professional development of videos of classrooms and that we were able to pivot quickly from having no students not being able to go in the classroom. You know, field experience and student teaching is so very, very valuable in preparing educators. And not being able to do that was, it was just horrific for us. We felt like we're going to send out underprepared educators and having Atlas made a huge difference. And every, every professor was using Atlas. And now that we're back in the classroom, we're continuing to use Atlas. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about the benefits of Atlas because we probably have not used it to its fullest potential. Well, that number one, I wanna commend you for, for doing that. And we talk about clinical practice and, and what's available. The, and Atlas is Accomplished Teaching Learning in Schools. It's a case library of accomplished teaching along with the commentary that an accomplished teacher submits as they go through the process of board certification. And once it has been scored, you're looking at teachers who have scored very high uh, that are a part of Atlas. And, and what we chose to do, because we have been sitting on a gold mine of these videos and, and commentary for years, and probably in, in 2013, we decided, let's pull these out of the warehouse, let's make use of them. And we started off 
quickly just by uploading the video, uploading the commentary. And then we thought these are connected to board certified teachers and their standards, the national board standards. But what if we connected them to other standards that teachers needed? So we began to connect them to EdTPA, to the three C's, to student standards as well, to the NTAS standards, which were so important for pre-service. We connected them to the mathematical practice standards, to ELA standards. And everybody knows when you look at things like teachers going through the process of their own evaluation. So you look at Danielson and, and those standards. And so what we did was brought in all the experts, we brought in board certified teachers, and we looked at the video, we looked at the commentary, and we connected all of the, those standards to points in the video, to points in the commentary. So you can imagine the richness of being a professor and saying, here's NTAS standard eight in practice, in a real classroom, unedited. And then we connected that to the commentary. And then we told you why it was that particular standard. The library itself is interactive. So if I want to see as a math teacher, I'm, a, I'm an elementary math teacher and it's my day and I'm gonna introduce unit fractions in the third grade. And I wanna see somebody who does this with students who look like mine, students who are at the same level, they may be ELL, they may have a learning disability of some kind, I can put all of that in and up pops a case that shows me exactly how this accomplished teacher introduced unit fractions to a third grade lesson and how well they did it. And the other thing that it could be used for is, you know, we talk about evaluation a lot and, and this is what we call a learning process. I think we, a, a growth mindset is what I called it. And that I'm the person who's coming in to evaluate you and I have the ability to watch. And then I have the ability to come back and say, in our post-conference, let's watch this video together. And when we watch it together, it is not about what you did wrong. <laughs> it is about how we get better at what we're doing. And that's a different measure of a checkbox. Oh yes, they were sitting quietly. Nobody wants them to sit quietly. They want them to learn. And in that interaction of learning feedback, you can see the feedback, you can see how children are engaged. But what's most important about the commentary is that you can see the invisible part of the complexity of teaching because it is written in the commentary. And all the commentary always starts with who are these children and why is this lesson important to them? That's how all of our lesson plans should begin. And, and when we think about the, the interactive nature of this, and then on the back end, the analytics. So if you were using this and you told your students to watch four particular cases, and in those cases, you can go back and forth and put in questions. They can answer those questions. You can have a focus of the next day in class about what you're talking about, why you think the teacher made these particular moves or did this. And, and when look at the opportunities of learning and feedback within the classroom and what real feedback 
looks like. So that's why we're so excited about it. And we continue to evolve Atlas over the years. And, and during the pandemic, we had an additional 380 institutions sign up and use Atlas because people were not in class and you needed that clinical experience. I just want to say first, before we close today, what I've learned <laughs> has been tremendous. Uh, the cost, the benefits, but really getting to know you and just being energized by your passion is a great way to start my day. But before we end today, what final thoughts might you offer for how educator preparation programs and our teacher educators like us can do our part in improving retention for our teacher workforce? I think the thing that you, you do most and the thing that I wish I had and probably all of us wish we had is a real solid connection to P12. And I say this because theory and reality sometimes don't connect in the ways that we think we're connecting them. And to have a relationship that you, it's kind of a seamless back and forth between what is currently happening, what the current needs are for P12 students, what they are experiencing, and then what we're teaching our pre-service teachers, we have to prepare them for the reality that they will step into, not the one that used to be. And I, I, I think the most important piece of that, and we say our five core propositions, our standards are free. They're mm -hmm. on our website. Please mm -hmm. go get them. Please yes, use them. My courses, and, my courses are aligned to them. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And embed them in the work because yes. that is the start of really analyzing and reflecting on decisions that we make on a daily mm -hmm. basis and making sure that we are intentional about everything that we do. So it's not happenstance. It's not surreptitiously happening. It is not by accident, but by what we call intentional planning and decision making. On that note, I want to give kudos to Amy because Amy did implement an immersion clinical experience. She wanted her candidates to be infused in the high school for an entire year before their student teaching, and they really develop relationships. I can remember Amy, when they started off, they were scared. Her candidates went into an environment that they were not used to, and they were afraid. They wanted out. By the end of that semester, you couldn't pull them out. They had developed friendships and relationships with the students and mentors with the teachers, and it became a wonderful experience. And to start student teaching and not have to look for the copy machine is awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting acclimated prior to those big experiences before student teaching or your first day of work is just priceless. So thank you for that, Peggy. And kudos to you, Amy. Yes, Amy, kudos. But keep doing it. Yes. I think that if we can get past this space right now where they're administrators we'll are overwhelmed <laughs> and it's hard to find placements mm -hmm. we can have that classroom okay partner schools i'm looking for a classroom i'm ready to do it again okay 
Thank you so much, Peggy, for joining us. Thank you. So, so nice to be here. And we look forward to every new teacher entering this field and to introduce them to start their journey to board certification. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.